0: So our scripture reading today comes from three passages uh, from 2 Samuel 6:1 through 5, 12 through 19, which features King David and the Ark of the Covenant. Also, Mark 6:14 to 29, which talks about John the Baptist and his beheading, and then also Ephesians 1:3 through 14, which talks about God's plans and blessings for us. So we'll start with 2 Samuel. The ark brought to Jerusalem. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala and Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim of the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ohio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. Now, David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went to bring up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed the bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the Ark to the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpet. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark to the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And the people went to their homes. Now we will hear from Mark, John the Baptist beheading. King Herod heard about this, For Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet, the one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune moment came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, "'Ask me anything you want, and I'll give it to you.' And he promised her with an oath, "'Whatever you ask, I will give you, "'up to half of my kingdom.'" She went out and said to the mother, "'What shall I ask for?' "'The head of John the Baptist,' she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request, "'I want you to give me the head of John the Baptist "'on a platter.' The king was greatly distressed. But because of his oaths, his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent the executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back the head of john on a platter he presented it to the girl and she gave it to her mother on hearing of john's disciple of uh, on, on hearing of this john's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb the last reading is from ephesians praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ and according to his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins, and according to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things, in heaven and on earth, under Christ. In him we were also chosen, and having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, will be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord.
1: A few weeks ago, Les and I traveled to the Southwest for a vacation with family. I think we have some pictures coming. What extraordinary landscapes and beauty and grandeur. I never tired of feasting my eyes on the many vistas, and I struggled for words to express the awesomeness and uniqueness and majesty of God's creation. I found myself fascinated by the desert and the little cactus plants, wondering how and why people live in this barren-looking land between the big national parks, and I did notice that usually it was the Native American Indian tribal land. The Native Americans had been exiled there. I was tired every night and I slept so soundly, grateful for a healthy body and cold water and good beds. There were so many lovely moments of interactions with my traveling companions, so much to learn and appreciate about each one of them. Small acts of kindness, patience and companionship on a very long hike, hot, seeing photography skills, listening to mountain biking stories of expertise and accidents, and watching college course prep up close and personal. Every day was filled with activity, relationship, beauty, and lots of love. And then we came home slideshow's over, silence, unmotivating work, summer spreadsheets, emails, boredom, restless, sleepless nights, I'm now back to everyday life. Routine time, ordinary time, and ordinary time hit this fun-loving family extrovert really hard. Honestly, I continue to struggle, with lack of motivation and low energy. Perfect time to have agreed to write a sermon, by the way. it's Good for me. <laughs> in the church year calendar, ordinary time is where we are right now. It stretches from Pentecost in May to the start of Advent in December. Seven months with no Jesus events for us to celebrate. Ordinary time is a time when we are not traveling around the country or the world. We are not camping. We are not having beach days. It is not celebrating Easter and Christmas with our family and our church friends. Ordinary time is normal, standard, expected life, day-to-day existence. And we all know we need health insurance and a roof over our heads and food and water, so we work. We do our jobs, we take care of our homes, and our families. We manage our food menus and our exercise routines. Those of you with children plan the play dates and the swim team and the summer camps and all the family time. Our challenge from Pastor Andrew and our elders this summer as we read through each lectionary scripture, and that always includes an Old Testament, a Psalm, a Gospel, and an Epistle. We've been asked to look for extraordinary encounters with God in the ordinary days of summer life. We are asked to connect God's Word and God's character to our day-to-day lives, keeping an eye towards God's transforming justice in all aspects of our days. In today's scripture, we discover some ways we can join with God in bringing a focus on justice into the everyday, ordinary time of our lives. Let's consider together what God is asking us to do, or to change, or to move, or to engage in, or to transform with a bent toward justice through the lectionary readings today. Justice in the Bible has a very broad definition. It includes love and peace, freedom, mutuality, respect, abundance for everyone, restored relationships. It is standing in solidarity with the marginalized. It is changing existing structures, shared opportunities. We all know that verse God is love that we learned back when we were little. I also believe that God is justice. God is justice. God is peace. God is abundance. God is restoration. It's all part of God's character. Through our extraordinary encounters with God in these ordinary days, we can see and experience justice, whether we seek it or not, because God is justice. God is in the business of restoration and transformation. As we look into God's word and consider God's calling and movement in our lives, we will become part of God's character of justice. Let's begin with the psalm that was used for our call to worship this morning. We praise God for his creative glory and his strength and God's might. God has blessed us in so many ways, and we recognize God as the king of glory. Psalm 24-7 speaks about restoration, transformation, and justice when it says, Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in." My challenge, as I read that this past two weeks, was lift up your head, Crystal. In these ordinary days that seem to move so slowly, lift up your head and look. Look at the beauty as you water your flowers on a hot summer day. Enjoy the companionship of a friend at a baseball game. Go and see God's beauty at the Arboretum and the Art Museum. See God showing up and encouraging those who are sick. See God bringing justice. I thought of my friend Judy, who did all that training and clearance to volunteer for DC-121 to support vulnerable families and children, even as she grandparents her own two granddaughters, who are here with her today. Hi, (laughs) Judy. Open the doors of my eyes and thoughts, God, that the king of glory may come in. It might look like volunteering at the STEM summer camp for our neighborhood middle schoolers here at WCF. It starts tomorrow. And it might be, which I think it's going to be for me, is to go through those DC 127 volunteer training classes, even though I know all that stuff already, so I think. And I really won't want to sit through one more training, and I have had enough background checks that should last for the rest of my life. It means spending time on a hot sidewalk, talking with my neighbor, giving encouragement and a listening ear when life is difficult and times are hard. How can you lift up your head and open doors so the King of Glory can come in with God's justice each day as part of your ordinary life? Let me and your elders know if there's doors we can open together as a community, if you have ideas. Our Old Testament story from the life of King David is found in 2 Samuel. Sometimes I wonder if David ever had ordinary time. His life reads as a continual drama. There's judgment and justice and restoration. He's an overlooked shepherd boy. He fights a giant all alone. Then he's anointed king. He has to be a refugee on the lamb out in the wilderness. He becomes king and has a throne. He commits adultery, he is forgiven, he finds success, and the list goes on. Did David ever have a dull moment? <laughs> I suspect bringing the ark of the Lord from Judah to its new location was not an ordinary day's work, but it was part of his king, kingship role. David did it with fanfare. Verse 14 says, David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. And then in stage two of the move, in verses 13 through 15, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, it's not very far, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. And then, in verses 18 and 19, after he had finished sacrificing these burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he gave them a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israel, both men and women, and all the people went home. This is a story of celebration for the people of Israel. And in that celebration, there was worship. Worship must be part of our ordinary days. Worship with music and dancing and offerings to the Lord and food. Food for every person in the whole crowd What a potluck, can you imagine? Here at WCF, we live through the ordinary time of hot summer. What might the God of justice be asking us to consider or to do? Can we continue to find ways to celebrate and rejoice together through vibrant worship? Authentic community means we do share and celebrate the joys of life with each other even as the covid pandemic becomes more managed we need to be careful and we need to learn how can we celebrate together and dancing it is important even during ordinary days that we keep forever mindful of who god is of his greatness and of what god is about and we will find ways we can eat together and make sure that all are fed Maybe we do a potluck outdoors for our community. Maybe we deliver groceries to those who are homebound. Um, My friend Martha and I have helped with Food for All, which is in northwest D.C. They need drivers every Saturday morning. No training sessions, no background checks, no sign-ups. Just show up at 9 o'clock. They put bags of groceries in your car, give you maps and addresses, and off you go. COVID closures have taught us about self-care and mental health. It was all really important. We made our circles smaller and we were physically isolated. But now we need to remember how to look out, how to look around us, how to step outside of what's comfortable and volunteer where we can to bring equity and justice into the lives of those around us. Let's bring on God's transforming justice. Let's keep celebrating. And rejoicing and worshiping. Let's feed as many as we can as we move through these summer months. Our gospel passage today in Mark is the story as Marjorie read for us of John the Baptist and his beheading. John spent his adult life announcing a coming kingdom of justice, love, and peace. In verse 20 we read, Herod feared John and protected him knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Eventually, Herod, to his great distress, was tricked into killing John the Baptist. Mark relayed the story of John and Herod, maybe as a foreshadowing of Jesus' own death by the hands of a political, though sympathetic, figure. The manner of John's death was intimately tied to the mission of Jesus. By connecting the two stories at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Mark may be foreshadowing that the fate of Jesus will be like that of John. The preaching of justice may cause that kind of fate. Going out to proclaim the gospel is a risky endeavor, makes us vulnerable to the powers who seek to silence God's message. Proclaiming the gospel is speaking the truth about God and what God desires for humanity, justice in all its forms. Not only did John's message meet with political obstacles, so did Jesus's, and so will his followers. Jesus stands in a similar position as all scapegoated victims, past, present, and future. Jesus embodies solidarity with the marginalized. However one understands the relationship between John and Jesus, one thing is certain. Agents of God who challenge those in power usually suffer significant consequences. Are we ever brave enough to be John the Baptist figures? Do we go about seeking and preaching lives of justice, salvation, and transformation for families and communities? Even if it is risky and hard, this sounds really big to me. I lost my place, and often feels beyond my reach. However, together and with God's spirit, we can do great things. As we read in our newsletter last week, Ben Howe heard God's call to work for justice on our southern border in El Paso as he went to work with the migrant teenagers. Ben shared in his story, and I quote, I needed to be physically present for something like this to go there and walk the grounds they walk, see the faces, hear the voices. I didn't want to send money or just think of it as a political issue. Chad Myers and Elaine Enns in an article, Ambassadors of Reconciliation, explain it this way. The US-Mexico border fence erected the same year that the Berlin Wall came tumbling down, poignantly symbolizes the social architecture of division that defines our world. The border wall reminds us that there have always been two Americas, one of inclusion and one of exclusion. The former has found expression in the ideal of liberty and justice for all and has been realized when Indian treaties were honored, when civil rights were embraced, when huddled masses who were yearning to be free were welcomed or child labor laws were passed. The latter was articulated in a constitution that originally enfranchised only white landowners and has been, males that was, and has been consolidated through land grabs, Jim Crow segregation, economic stratification, restricted housing covenants, and laws precluding gay marriage. These two visions of America continually compete for our hearts and minds, not just in our churches. The America of inclusion is the only hope for democracy. The America of exclusion, as Lincoln's ultimatum about a house divided warned 150 years ago, is unsustainable. That was all quote. And Drew Smith, in an article called Reframing Irrelevant Faith, says, while we must identify with the vulnerable in our world through our close association with them and service to them, as Ben did, we must also be prophets of truth and call to repentance the powers of society that set up structures of violence and injustice and that entrap the vulnerable, End quote. It's just one example of the many places our voices need to be heard and our actions can be focused as we work for justice with a God of justice. Consider your giving to justice-focused missions, sharing our collective wealth and possibilities in our community. Where can we volunteer in these ordinary days of summer? How is this congregation reaching out to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the community around us? We must not give up hope. In the ordinary days of everyday life, we have the opportunity to be present in places and be with people who are crying out for justice. Let's find them. Let's open our doors and see them and share them with each other. The last reading was from Ephesians. And it tells us how we can attempt these impossible things in our ordinary lives. It's only with the power of the Holy Spirit and in our relationships with each other. We read in Ephesians that everything belongs to God, and we are called to live for God in everything. Work, family life, service, justice seeking and transformation. We begin in our daily lives what God will complete. God will complete. Bringing unity and justice to all things, in heaven and on earth and under Christ. We are called to live every day, putting our hope in Christ and bringing praise to God's glory. We share God's truth with the world and announce salvation, justice, and restoration. We cannot and are not expected to do any of this on our own power. And So I'm going to end today by rereading these powerful words from the epistle, Ephesians chapter 3 which I believe we can never hear too often. Let them sink into your soul. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, all in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he makes known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard this message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. May it be so. Amen.